Hi, and welcome to Lights on Lodden Mallee, the podcast that takes a glimpse into the health of our region. I'm Sue Turpey, and today we'll be talking about sexually transmitted infections. It may not be the most attractive of topics, but it's a topic that needs to be in the spotlight, given statistics are showing an increase in STIs with young people. And it's a topic we need to stop being embarrassed about and talk to our children about as well. So what are STIs, why are they on the rise, and how do we talk to our children, specifically our teenagers, about this? To work through these questions, we're fortunate to have with us Judy Lamb, a nurse practitioner in Bendigo Health's Infection Prevention and Control. So thank you, Judy, for coming along. And also Louise Holland, who is a clinical nurse consultant in the Infectious Diseases Services, working with Judy and who works as a nurse practitioner in the women's health, as well as someone who has had experience in adolescent sexual health and has worked with young people in community health for many years. Maybe, uh, Judy, if we can start by getting an overview from you, uh, just explaining what is a sexually transmitted infection. So a sexually transmissible infection is what we refer to as the STI. That's a short version. So um, it's any... Um, pathological disease, I suppose, that you can get um, that's uh, related to sexual activity. It can be uh, a virus, it could be a bacteria, it could be a fungus, <laughs> it could be um, uh, uh, yeah, any accommodation, really, of, of those. So um, we kind of look after a lot of people that are, you know, have STIs. And look, they could be anything from, um, you know, a, a, a chlamydia, to gonorrhea, to uh, genital herpes, genital warts, uh, through to hepatitis B um, and HIV. Like there's a, it's, it's quite a broad range of um, uh, conditions that we we lump under the STI banner. So that's about it, really. So yeah, and do you think then? So it's saying that these are, are on the rise. Are there anything? Is there anything that specifically is on the rise, or is it because I mean that encompasses such a huge amount? We, um, I, I think, in, in the Lodden Mallee area, you know, being remote and um, uh, you know rural remote, you know, there's limited kind of access to services around. Um, so we we see a lot of, um, particularly in adolescence, chlamydia, um, some gonorrhea uh, around um, uh, certain areas. You know, you see this, a syphilis outbreak as well. Um, um, I don't particularly see um, a lot of you know, HIV in, in young people, but we may see a lot of hepatitis B uh, that may be sexually transmissible. Um, it, 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 it actually, hepatitis B is actually kind of transmitted in other ways too via blood, uh, but um, um, sexually it certainly can be as well. So, but chlamydia and gonorrhea would have to be, uh, genital herpes um, would be the, the common ones. And mm. um, what sort of, um, I don't know whether, Louise, maybe you're better to, to answer this one. What do you think might be the, the reasons why we see more of, I mean, it, is it a lack of education? See, I don't know. I grew up when the, the Grim Weeper sort of scared mm. everyone, but that wasn't educational. It was more fear-based. Do you think, is there a reason why we might be seeing an increase in specific so I STIs? I think we need to be really mindful if we look at mm. some of the the reasons why there is um, an increase in, say, chlamydia. We know that it's generally non-symptomatic and we know that it is 
quite contagious and quite infectious. So a young person who has you know, sexual activity with another young person, then it's quite probable that chlamydia may be transmitted. In terms of barrier protection, so you know, male condoms, female condoms, dams, the, the use of those certainly kind of wavers depending on access and also depending on, I suppose, the increased public health, increased health promotion around it. So you could, you know, postulate that in a small country town, the only place you can buy condoms is in the local supermarket. And you're a 15 year old young person going into the supermarket. And there is your auntie's best friend behind the counter. So (laughs) are you going to buy a packet of condoms? Probably not. Um, So, you know, access is really Mm. important. Cost is really important in terms of that. In the larger you know, populations where there's condom vending machines or there's access to free condoms through health services, you would hope that young people would feel really comfortable coming in. They just walk in, there's a bowl on the table, they don't talk to anybody, they don't see anybody, and then they pick them up and stuff like that. There's been lots of conversations over the years about providing condoms in educational settings. Yes. But that often has barriers mm-hmm. um, and conflicts of interest in regards to that as well. I think, and this is a, I know this is a difficult question to answer, but I, I guess the, the idea that we would like to think that our kids were not sexually active until they were married in 26 or 27, I mean, is just not realistic. Do you, do you think often, and I know it's not necessarily up to the schools, but that we sort of try and ignore a problem if then that would make it difficult then for the school for the kids sorry to access what they need elsewhere so if the schools aren't providing it and the parents aren't talking about it then the kids really then even if they are in a city where there is access maybe lack the knowledge and the confidence then to to do you know to buy condoms or visit their gp about so education for young people is varied there's been some great surveys happening over many years, which are the national school surveys. And it talks about young people's responses in terms of very specific questions. And some of that data sometimes raises eyebrows in regards to, is that really true? But the last survey that was out, and we're going to have to um, look at this information, looked at, you know, year 10s and the percentage of young people who identify that they're sexually active. They actually have to be quite... Um, I suppose, specific around what sexual activity is because sexual activity can mean a whole range of things. So, for example, sexual intercourse is, you know, penis and vaginal sex, but there's, you know, oral sex that can happen where there's no risk of pregnancy, there's anal sex, then there's a whole range of telephone sex and there's pornography and a whole range of different types of activities that can put under the big broad banner of sexual activity. If we're looking at risks of STIs, we're looking at where there's actually intimacy and an exchange of fluids. So a lot of those, a lot of the research came out that there's actually not as many young people actually self-reporting as I suppose the 
broader community expectation. So when you get a young person in front of you one-on-one, say, for example, in my clinic, Mm -hmm. then you will find there's actually, it narrows down to, you know, quite a very small proportion of actual kind of what that young person has been doing. And I think there needs to be greater understanding that young people often seek information from people Mm -hmm. that they really trust so if they really have an open and trustful relationship with a parent or a guardian Mm -hmm. who doesn't put that I don't want to talk about it you're not getting married until you're 22 etc etc then they're not going to be comfortable doing that they might seek out some other information they might go to a peer Mm -hmm. peer might have a very different view Mm. on on what is normal yeah or they might go to the to the internet and we have a very good understanding now that very young people very young children even primary school children are accessing pornography Mm. where you actually now get very distorted views on sexual activity which could lead to risk behavior Mm -hmm. which could lead to stis so we need to be really mindful it's it's a very broad subject Mm -hmm. and Um, understanding that young people are very committed in their relationships so one of the things that I find I often talk to older uh, to adults about um, teenage children is that teenagers fall in love very deeply Mm. when they do fall in love in a relationship and their experience is very similar to you know anyone else and so their commitment to that person the response to that person and then of course potentially the trauma of that relationship ending is 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 as deep uh, um, as um, as anybody else so you know holistically we're not just looking at the activity Mm -hmm. we're looking at the whole range of that makes up adolescent health which really is around education information relationship status but also feeling safe and secure that they can actually have those conversations with the adults in their life right so in your mind really it is a a package deal you can't tackle one issue without addressing everything else as well. I I think siloing, you know, kind of STIs in young people Mm. or in adolescents is missing a huge part of adolescent health. And if you look about how adolescent health services now have developed over the years, you find them intertwining. So there's, you know, mental health services, Mm -hmm. there's support around drug and alcohol, there's support around sexual health, there's support around reproductive health in terms of, you know, contraception for, for... Um, for those who you know don't want to get pregnant so it's a real holistic approach a real wraparound service approach that is important to understand and from an adult who has a young person who they're worried about finding a condom in the Mm -hmm. bottom of the washing basket um, I would actually really applaud that Mm -hmm. young person because that young person has gone out and got a condom and actually um, probably used it, which Mm -hmm. is even better, Mm -hmm. as opposed to having a condom in their wallet and never used. So, you know, that's that's something that, you know, you try and change the focus on on that young person. That's health-seeking behaviour and Mm -hmm. that's what we'd want all young people to do. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I had a great friend once who, um, you know, she she put a big bowl of um, condoms in in the bathroom that the kids accessed, you know, from a, a, from a, a young idea. age, you know, and yeah, just and she said, look, it sat there for ages, didn't move, didn't move, and then slowly, <laughs> you know, as time went on, you know, that one or two would be missing and more would yeah. be missing, um, and I just thought that was a great idea. 
put them out there, put the, you know, they can have the conversations if they want or they yeah. can take them if they want, you know, so that's their protection. They can take them whenever they want, big bowl of condoms. I personally used to put lots of information in the toilet because I find teenagers spend a lot of time in the toilet. Um, so I'd have toilet, you know, toilet information. Um, and again, you know, they you see it move every now and again, so they'd pick it up and read it. And, yeah. um, and it was great. You know, that again, came that, that, that idea came from that friend. <laughs> Well, because I suppose when we were growing up, growing up, we had like Cleo magazine and Dolly magazine yeah, and that kind yeah. of thing. Whereas now, I don't know, as you were saying before, with the the internet and too with a lot of video games and other things like that, there is a, an incredibly different perception mm-hmm. on what is and what is not acceptable behaviour. But I, from your idea, though, when, with putting condoms just in a bowl in the, the toilet, I guess you're breaking down that barrier that it's a taboo subject you're not saying that you have to talk about it but then you're basically giving permission and saying that you know this is what's going to happen and exactly that's right it's it's there you know it's it's acceptable we're 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 out in the open you know it just happens at your pace and I think it's a great idea Hmm? It must be hard, though, for kids. Sorry, yeah. I was just saying that, you know, a lot of young, um, particularly um, older adolescents, they they do really want to find out correct information. Mm. They are savvy enough to know that Dr Google doesn't always give them the correct information every time. So if they do feel that there is a as a safe place for them to, to go to, to speak to um, a health professional, whether that's their GP or a nurse or you know another type of worker who will support them with that then they often will will take Mm -hmm. that on because they do have a genuine desire most of the adolescents that I see and have known do have a genuine desire to to know what is the correct way or to know what is safe and to Mm -hmm. know what their risks are and I suppose one of the things that is really challenging for us is to be able to provide information that they can seek that and those services without necessarily um, as adults or parents as directing directing them to where we want them to go but giving them um, some options in, in where to go I think that's um, really important yeah is that a, sorry so I don't I don't think it hurts for the parents to be upskilled a little bit in, mm. in their knowledge of what sex is and and what it means and how it works so that you know when the kids come if they do talk to you about you don't keel over and go oh my god <laughs> what are they doing because people do a lot of different things sexually yeah and it might not necessarily you know um, stick with how you were brought up and what you know of sex uh, you know upskilling parents in what sex is and what it means and how it, it, it's got a different view for lots of different people mm. um, you know is um, a great thing you know, get parents talking about it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it is with each generation, the world is changing, the world is changing and the world is changing. And I th- I think, um, you know, whatever went on with your parents, sometimes, though, I, I must admit, g- growing up, you don't necessarily want to think of your parents in that way. It kind of is a bit weird. But then as you, you get older, it it makes sense that they'd be the ones that you turn to. And I, I, I think to essentially, and I've always sort of said this is teen being a teenager you can feel a bit though like you're in no man's land you're not a child but then we tell you to grow up but then when you try and be an adult we tell you well you're not an adult I mean and so everything that they're learning and you're dealing with the hormones and all the changes and finding out who you are and your place in in society um and then to you know for something that is natural 
and you are naturally curious about and that is obviously a part of your makeup. To make that a taboo subject or something that is dirty or wrong would be, I would imagine, incredibly confusing for, for a teenager. Yeah, so we want our young children who become teenagers to take on the curiosity of life and who, and to take risks. So as mm. you take risks, you learn, you know, it's experiential learning. And, and so to take on risks as, you know, riding a bike or riding a motorbike or riding a horse or climbing a tree, you know, you, you understand them, take those risks and you hope they don't fall off and break their leg or something like that. So we understand that uh, that adolescents do take those risks as a natural part of them moving towards adulthood. We also understand is that there's that set period of time of separation from child and dependency on, on parents or guardians to independent thinking and often those two come combine and often that's when you know people talk about risky behavior they talk about going you know the 16 year old going to the party and, and being introduced to alcohol mm-hmm. and not having drunk alcohol before and then suddenly you know having drinking alcohol at a party underage or you know other risky behavior that involves you know um, sexual activity etc so there's this tension you know in in adolescence as young people um, maneuver that themselves and find mm-hmm. out their, their place in the world and their place in their family and what they are interested in and maybe even exploring their own identity mm-hmm. in terms of sexual identity and that all happens amongst yes. surging hormones yeah. amongst responsibilities now so if you think about the 15 16 year olds now they've all got a part-time job <laughs> they're, mm-hmm. they're studying and for the last two years I've been studying at home. Mm. So, you know, there's there's lots and lots of tensions there. And so I suppose if we, you know, look at young people and, and how they manoeuvre relationships and how they think about reducing the risk of STIs because they're sexually active, it, it, it all is encompassing in regards to what is, you know, important for me at this moment and, and what can I access and, and where can I find the knowledge and information yeah. Do you, do you think? Sorry, just I was going to say with the the isolation and and the last year or two, especially for kids who normally would be out and about making mistakes and learning and growing and developing, will that have will that have any of a flow on effect? Do you think, or will they just sort of, you know, gradually make their way in the world and you know things that they normally would have done twelve months ago, they'll just be doing now instead, a little bit older or something, or. I, 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 I have no idea, yeah. really. I, I know, you know, exactly is that young people who are 16 and getting their L plates, they mm. had hardly, you know, not much experience in, in driving no, around. Yeah. But, um, do you know, I mean, I'm sure, you know, young people are incredibly flexible, incredibly mm. smart. And whoever that young person is going to be, you know, in adulthood, I'm sure, you know, they will, um, you know, manage, you know, to yeah. deal with what's happened to them in the last two years in terms of schooling and lockdowns etc yeah I think it probably will to some degree you know affect them because um, we've seen how it's affected their mental health mm-hmm. um, just through that isolation they're, they're um, being estranged from their friends their normal groups you know that they hang around in and so it, it probably will hope they don't all just rush out and say oh you're back again I'm gonna have sex you know um so <laughs> um <laughs> But, um, uh, you know, like I I think it it will impact upon them in some way. We don't necessarily know how that is now, but um, I think it will, in fact, impact upon them at some stage, if not currently. 
the thing I kind of wanted to highlight too yeah. is that I talk to a lot of um, younger people about is is chemicals and sex and that that connection because we see a lot of use of and I see young people come in to emergency departments mm-hmm. you know they've been to not necessarily over COVID but you know raves dances gatherings they've taken a range of substances Mm -hmm. whether it be anything from marijuana through to dropping some acid uh you know e-tablet you know look whatever it is that they've taken and they take it yeah uh alcohol on top of that and just chatting to them about their being able to make choices and decisions around when they when those chemicals are on board Mm -hmm. so and and um, I think that's an important conversation to have too is, you mm. know, you're not saying, you know, no, you're not to have that and you're not to have that and da-da-da-da-da. You're just saying, you know, how how well do you think your decision-making can be or is mm-hmm. when you've got LSD on board or you've got ecstasy on board or you've yeah. got, you know, this or that or the other things. So, and I think you'll find most of them will agree that they probably don't, don't make wonderful choices, you know. <laughs> and is that, you know, about having yeah. sex with different people uh, you know at different times and and would they prefer not to have done that if they Mm -hmm. hadn't taken those chemicals it's not about you know saying that's bad and that's bad and that's bad it's about saying well how do you think you you, your choices were you know when this happened so learning and learning Mm. and grow learning and grow yeah yeah Yeah, and I suppose on the on the same line Judy you know the the big topic that you know always should be discussed in regards to any type of relationships whether you know sexual activities occurring or not is around respect and respect for relationships Mm. and and Mm -hmm. how you treat somebody and I think that you know one of the things that if we were to you know have a discussion with adults about you know when do you start (laughs) you know chatting to your children about how you talk to someone or how you greet someone or whatever like that you know that respect between people is really really critical and Mm -hmm. it has to happen very very early on so that when the the natural curiosity for adolescents to be intimate with somebody Mm -hmm. or to want to you know commence a relationship with somebody or even for a young couple who are in a relationship that they're there is actually some solid foundations in regards to respect in that relationship and um predominantly in my um, years of experience I've worked with mostly young women because mm-hmm. women tend to and adolescent girls tend to be more health seeking than adolescent boys and you know it is not unfamiliar information to everyone around this table that a significant proportion of those teenage girls talk about being respected in in their relationships with their Mm -hmm. partners particularly if their partners are young male um, and that they have you know regrets Mm -hmm. in regards to pursuing the relationship or they have some fear in regards to getting out of the relationship Mm -hmm. or that the word you know or the the sentence if you love me you will yeah whatever you know it plays a a, quite a substantial role in some of the types of behaviors that occur and I think as parents and adults I think that should be the forefront Mm -hmm. of absolutely every conversation is in regards to is is how young people you know ensure that they're respectful of another human being even if it is someone that they are really keen you know to be um you know more intimate with 
Yeah. So uh, that, sorry. Sorry. The other thing that we deal with a lot mm. is that we've probably mostly been talking about mainly Caucasian societies, I suppose. You know, whereas we deal with have many different cultures. And, yeah. Um, yeah. There's some cultures that it's taboo to speak. The parents don't speak about sex. Yeah. Girls marry early. It's ex- you know they it's expected they marry early. That's what they're meant to be doing and um, yeah. uh, having babies early and and so kind of not negotiating, saying no. not saying no. You know, it's. It's negotiating those different cultures mm-hmm. and being respectful of the culture, but still allowing them the information uh, to to for them to digest and utilize and and be able to use in certain situations, or or, or know that there is different ways around things. Um, they may not be able to speak to their parents. Their parents might not speak English, or uh, that that it is a cultural taboo for their parents to speak about um, sex and sexual mm-hmm. activity or sex outside of marriage. Which would be confusing if you're in an environment where yeah. other cultures are saying, well, we talk about it all the time and, yeah. you know, it's, yeah. So, so yeah. what's sort of... Is there a, a cut-off? I'm trying to think of the way to, to phrase this question right, but, I mean, even if younger people, so 12, 13, 14-year-olds, come into community health services and what have you, you are, they can access that information, can't they? I mean, their parents don't necessarily need to be there or give permission that they can access this information. Is that correct? Or um, how? There's, there's certainly um, capacity for, mm. for education and information. Um, so... You know, different states have different ages of of legal for minorities, but there is an understanding and expectation, particularly if it's um, education and information versus medical treatment, that, you know, particularly young teenagers can come in and ask for information. So it might be information around contraception, it might be information around STIs, it might be information around, you know, behaviour that they're unsure of it might be something that they you know read on the internet and one of their friends said something about it and they wanted to, to clarify so certainly young people can access services so headspace has their um, age which is 12 to 25 bendigo community health services has sexual health nurses and we see young people from you know roughly those ages there's times when young people come in with their parent and we would see um, and it's very normal for us to see parent or guardian and young person and have a general discussion and then we might actually have just a a private conversation with the young person for a few minutes and and the reason why I always say that and because that young person is not going to be 12 or 13 for the rest of their life they're going to be 14 15 and 16 and I say to a lot of mothers who look at me a little bit strangely when I say do you mind if I have just a chat to your to your child you know to your um to this young person on their own and, and explain to them that's really important and as a parent you would absolutely love the fact that your young person would go and seek a a sensitive health service or go and seek someone that they trust if they were worried about something because that's you know a wonderful outcome of your parenting Mm -hmm. that you have encouraged them to be independent and to be keen on ensuring Mm -hmm. that their health and well-being is being um, supported so that's kind of how it, it's important to see how young people behave and how it is good that young people will do that. Yeah, there's certainly, you know, some very rare situations where, you know, we haven't got time to go into where there's, mm. you know, there's um, laws and mandates, etc., around that not occurring. Mm. But on the general, yeah. we would see young people, yep, yeah, of those ages, yep. Yeah. I was going to say too, um, especially... 
I think as a parent, you want to keep those lines of communication open and make them feel supported, but then not take it personally if your child turns around and said, you know what, I don't particularly want to talk to you about that, mum, but you say, okay, well, that's fine, let's get you and you can talk to someone else instead. So no matter what they're asking or what they're doing, you sort of respect their comfort zone, for want of a better word, yeah. And, and most young people, particularly young young people, if they're, if they're a bit worried that they might get into trouble mm. by a parent or, you know, that they're worried that, you know, mum or dad might ban them from something, often, that, often they will find another trusted adult and it could actually be an auntie or mm. an older sibling and sometimes it's their friend's mum, but they will actually seek um, an adult for support. And sometimes when, you know, you think about that, you think, well, they're, they're, they're looking for support from an adult mm. and, and often I'll say to a young person, you know, think about, you know, why are you choosing maybe not to have a chat with your mum or your dad about mm-hmm. this situation? And most times young people will say, I just want to find out some information before I do. Do you know what I mean? So they actually want to be armed with some information, yeah. some correct information, because I think they want to be able to prove that they're old enough yeah. to to be having these discussions and come mm. back to mum or dad with with that information and and that's you know wonderful to be able to to hear that as well yeah. I think um and the parents should um I'm not telling parents what to do but you know um that, that some of these um infections have long-term sequelae Right. Um, so if yeah. you're looking at chlamydia and you've got an ongoing chlamydial infection, um, you know you can look at you know um, you know salpingitis, pelvic inflammatory disease. You know you can maybe look at infertility in later years. So it it really makes sense to you know if 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 the kids are in trouble or they want to speak or they want to go and see someone, get them seen. Yep. You know, so yeah. you know that's not even kind of looking at that. That's curable um, diseases. Uh, you know, I've certainly seen young girls with um, first cases of genital herpes, and it's been terrible. You know, like they've you know had to be hospitalised, and you know because they couldn't pass urine. Like it was mm. just terrible, uh, and that can happen. It doesn't doesn't seem to affect the boys so much, but mm. the girls it can really affect, uh, and right through to. HIV, you mm. know, which is still an incurable disease at this stage. People live long and happy lives because, mm. you know, we've got great medications and great ways to um, to look after them. But it's still an incurable disease. Yeah. So, you and know, you I, I'm sure every parent would, um, you know, really want to have those things mm. under control if, if they were um, a possibility. Oh, absolutely. Well, the last thing you want is for your child to, to suffer or, you know, in 10 or 15 years' time because they didn't feel like they could come to you that you have to turn around and say well you know you your ability to carry children could be affected or you know your mental health and then you know future relationships could all be uh, that's right. difficult because you know if, if you're something constantly having herpes outbreaks you know how does that affect your you know like ongoing relationships in later years and you know uh, you know so you know, there's there's treatments around you know you come and chat to Louise you come and chat to me you, you know yeah. you go and and, and you, we get on top of those things and you work with it and and it's generally it can be okay 
Yeah. So rather than them suffering alone, you know, and, and um, thinking, you know, they kind of got this terrible disease and they can never have a proper mm. relationship at all. or Yeah. So I'm sure all parents want that for their children, really. Yeah. But uh, we're talking about kids that have got parents that are interested as well. Yeah. Sometimes we have kids that don't have homes, don't have uh, places to go, don't have safe right. people to talk to. Uh, and so, you know, that's um, that's a that's an issue too. Yeah. But we will speak to them as well. Yeah, and, and, and I think one of the other things that's really important to know is that often during that time of adolescence, everything can be really magnified in mm. terms of, you know, severity and, you know, life-threatening. And, you know, it's, it's quite common for a young person to come in absolutely, you know, um, terrified mm. that, you know, <laughs> something huge has happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you really get down to it and when you ask some of the critical questions and when you reassure them, mm-hmm. you find that really there's nothing life-threatening, nothing long-term. Yeah. Um, health impacting, short-term discomfort and that they're going to be fit and healthy, you know, Mm. in a very short period of time. So that is really important as well, is that coming in and being able to provide that information, being able to assist them to get the tests that they need to get done. And if we're talking about testing and we're talking about barriers to finding out if there are, you know, at risk of um, sexually transmissible infection, you know, the testing is really simple. Mm -hmm. You know, for chlamydia and gonorrhea, it's, you know, a urine specimen which can easily be done on their own, you know, if they're paranoid about it, they can actually go away and bring it back, etc., mm-hmm. etc. Et it, it's really important that there's there's many, many times when there's no, you know, examinations that need to be done. And for young people, that's really critical because yeah. the yeah. embarrassment of coming in and being examined by, you know, a nurse or a doctor can actually be the barrier that they don't come in. So getting that information out is really important too and finding that factual information is really important and it's important for adults and parents to to understand that as well and to uh, support that and saying well you know if you're really worried about it all you have to do is you know a urine test mm. and Pee we can see that's right just like a camping that's exactly right yeah, yeah. I think too often, uh, and I do know younger people who have had this, is uh, if you sit on something and you mull it over and you mull it over and you mull it over, by the time, you know, you actually come to speak to someone, your head's already translated it into something really, really, really difficult. But um, I think it just goes back to exactly what you've been saying is making kids feel comfortable and not often two kids can feel like they're disappointing their parents that they've done you know, something wrong and it's labelling them as good and bad. Um, But I think then realising that, you know, there's elements that we all do things that are, you know, potentially labelled bad or potentially labelled good. Um, You know, at the end of the day, we're all human and we've just got to, you know, try and do the best that we can. I think at the end of the day, parents just need to give the kids the tools that they need in their growing up Mm. and then their formative years to make, try and make good decisions. Yeah. 
You're not going to be there at every occasion to make that decision for them or to help them make a decision. Mm -hmm. So you build up that toolkit, give them that toolkit to make decisions. And that is around discussing things and having an open conversation and, and, and maybe going through some scenarios or seeing the right people, having the right information. Mm. That's all in their toolbox. They may get into a situation one time. I often used to say to my kids, it's not a matter of um, if you get offered drugs, it's a matter of when. Yes. So yeah. think now, what will you do when you are offered some drugs mm. of any sort? You know, So they have that bit of a scenario in their head when it happens, because it is. It's a matter of when, not if. Mm. And, and I think there's always a bit of a balance between being an active parent saying, you know, I want to be active in your life. I want to be a parent that's interested and actually be genuinely interested mm. and not tokenistically interested versus being, you know, a helicopter parent where you can't possibly go anywhere without me knowing all the details about where you go. And that brings about the issue around trust, you know. Yes. You know, we want our children to trust us, you know, as mm. adults that we can them safe and we're doing the good thing you know the things right for them mm -hmm. and our children as they go through adolescence they want to be trusted mm. they want to be able to know that you know you have in, we have parents have instilled the um the values and the strengths so that they can be trusted and to be safe in that as a young person is really powerful to mm. be safe that they are trusted really powerful for your young person and and very uh, you know self um, affirming and you know absolutely brilliant for um, self-esteem and therefore, you know, health-seeking behaviour because they feel that they are trusted. Yeah. Thank you. I think we've covered, I think we've covered everything. <laughs> I've learned a lot. I've le Thank you both so much for your time. It's, it's really been, it's been, it's been great and a lot of fun too. So. Okay. Thank Thanks, you. Sue. Thanks, Sue. Thank you. The content in this podcast should not be used as medical advice. If you need medical help, please contact your GP.